You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. It is now the holiday season, Thanksgiving, and Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, all of it, coming fast and furious over the next month. Uh, I can't believe it. It feels like it was just summer around here. There's a call on this week's show from a young woman who is, who's already come out to her parents, but she's not yet finished coming out to her parents. And, and you'll hear the call later, but it's basically a lot of my standard advice about how to come out to your parents is when you're when you're queer, when you're gay, lesbian, bi or trans. Alert listeners, those of you who are paying attention, and that's all of you, uh, will note that these calls tend to come around the holidays. We get a lot of these calls about coming out to your family, how you do it, how you make a success of it, how you leverage yourself, your presence to make your parents into the better people that they can be, the loving, accepting people that they should be. And the fact that these calls come around this time of the year is not just a coincidence. This is the time of year that people who are now becoming young adults who've moved out of the house or who have gone off to college are returning home after a taste of complete freedom and autonomy, after being able to really recreate themselves. And you know, somebody who is not out to mom and dad goes to college a thousand miles away and comes out to their peers and their roommates and their classmates and gets a taste of living openly. And then they're faced with going home and having to either jump back in the closet or do what they need to do, what they know they need to do, which is come out to mom and dad. That's why the holidays bring these calls about how do I come out to mom and dad. And it's not just, of course, lesbian, gay, bi, or trans folks that have to eventually come out to mom and dad. This coming out stuff, particularly around the holidays, people in open relationships often have to do it. Poly people, uh, a couple who is poly who has – Another partner or other partners that they don't want to be separated from for the holidays or wish to have acknowledged as parts of their families for the holidays, they're also faced with coming out to their families of origin. Sometimes kinky people are in a position where, and I've always advocated running your parents on a need-to-know basis about the specifics of your sexual conduct, but sometimes kinky people are faced with having to come out to their families too because something about their kinks or how they live or how they've incorporated them into their lives make them a parent. And you do – then your parents are in a need-to-know position because they need an explanation or perhaps the collar that's welded around your neck or whatevs. Atheists, people who are raised in a particular faith who now have come to their senses and no longer believe in the fairy tales and the bullshit, they're often faced with coming out to their families. And that can, when you talk to people who are atheists, who are from very conservative religious families, that can be as traumatic and disruptive and as conflict driven an experience as kids who are gay, who come out to their parents, whether they're religious or not. Pot smokers, a lot of pot smokers have to come out to their parents. Kids who are raised by Republicans who become Democrats sometimes have to come out to their parents and vice versa, although I don't approve of that lifestyle choice to go from Democrat to Republican. I do not approve. But if you did that, you might have to come out to your liberal parents. My advice for the queer kids, and I mostly get calls from queer kids about this coming out process. It really does apply whether you're coming out as open, poly, kinky, atheist, pot smoker, whatevs. It really does apply. Demand respectful treatment. Be patient with your parents when you come out to them about any of this shit. 
that maybe when you come out to them about poly and the fact that you have other partners, maybe this year you come out to them about it without bringing your partners around. But you say next year, if you want us around for Thanksgiving, you have to include all of my family, not just my societally approved spouse aspect of my family. Uh, you give them that year to ask shitty questions, to have their tantrum, to have a reaction, to to adjust and get used to it. And then you make your presence contingent upon loving, respectful, equal treatment. And if they can't give you that loving, respectful, equal treatment, you tell them they're going to see a lot less of you. You tell them that they're choosing to see a lot less of you. Anyway, just wanted to throw that out there for everybody who in two days is thinking about coming out to mom and dad about the gay thing. The bi, the lesbian, the trans thing, the open thing, poly thing, kinky thing, atheist thing, pot smoking thing, Republican then Democrat thing or Democrat then Republican thing. And I wish you luck this holiday season. All of you out there who are coming out, it's better out than it is in. You'll feel better. Your families like mine will get over it and they will embrace you and you will be closer for it. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And I know a lot of people who are thinking about coming out are really afraid and I promise you from the other side of it that one day you will look back on your coming out and it will be something that you are so thankful for, thankful for yourself that you had the courage to do it and your parents and friends and family. They will one day, even if they react badly at first, invariably, almost all individual results may vary, but in almost all cases, they will one day look back on your coming out and thank you for it too because they really know you and they really love you and to know you for who you are and who you, and love you for who you actually are is so much more valuable and you will look back one day and be thankful that you seize the opportunity this Thanksgiving to owe yourself to them. Good luck, you guys. And now your calls. Hi, this is uh, Matt. I'm calling from Portland, Oregon. So I recently have been through a divorce. I was married to my wife for six years and we have two children together. Uh, we were really strongly convicted Midwestern Christians when we got married. We were only 22. After one year of being married, uh, she was convinced that uh, God wanted us to have a baby. So we kind of rushed things along quite a bit. She had previously been through some really serious sexual abuse in her past, where she was essentially being raped, manipulated, lied to, cheated on, et cetera, et cetera, for like three or four years with this other guy when she was in high school. And, you know, I was really patient with it. And I supported her as she, you know, kind of deal dealed with all these things throughout our relationship. But uh, kind of the issues we faced in our marriage is that every time she had a negative emotion, uh, she kind of defaulted to playing this victim. And I was a convenient bad guy all the time. And I told her that I felt that way. Like she was, you know, kind of blaming me for, for causing these emotions that, that weren't my fault. And it never really resolved uh, until one day she just stopped talking to me completely. She uh, made up all these really awful stories that kind of described me as this misogynist who didn't love her, didn't respect her, thought she was stupid. Yeah, these stories included things like I was reading her email on her phone and I didn't allow her to wear makeup and all these like absolutely ridiculous things that are not true. I consider myself uh, a feminist and, and have uh, for quite a while. We have not been Christians in a long time. Anyway, my, my question is, how do I move on? because I'm really struggling with Atlas. She left seven months ago, and I am still spending a lot of time crying, 
missing her or missing our, our family being together. Uh, she won custody of the kids. She wouldn't share join. She's, you know, cause she's demonized me. And how do I, you know, just move on to, to be in a relationship again? You know, I was a virgin when I got married cause I, you know, again, there's the hardcore Christian thing going on and, uh, I just don't even know how to go into the world and, you know, find someone. And so I'm kind of a novice at that whole thing and could use some advice. So before I get into the specifics uh, of your call and my advice for you, I really have to acknowledge every once in a while one of the defects of this genre, one of the limitations of the genre, it's sort of built into it, hardwired right into the DNA, is that we only have the caller's version of events to go with, or in the case of the column, the letter writer's version of events. And in most cases, you just sort of default to taking their word for it. You accept their characterization of events and people. You accept their general premise unless it's just glaringly obvious that the letter writer is deluded or is the problem. And that sometimes happens. And there are some advice columnists like me and Prudy and Carolyn Hacks who will go after people who are presenting themselves as the victim in the piece when it's clear that they are the victimizer. And there are people out there who can't see how they come across and will betray themselves in the question or the letter. So I'm just going to accept your version of events and I have no reason not to accept your version of events. I'm just going to run with you are not a monster and there's nothing about your call that made me think you were a monster. I just wanted to preface what I was about to say with just running with your premise here. And you do sound as if you've been victimized by someone who perhaps has moved through life portraying herself as a victim in order to manipulate and control people. She claims to have been a victim of abuse in a past relationship and she used that victimization, the reality of it and the damage done or the claim that she had been victimized to effectively control you during your relationship. That when you have any conflict or anything went wrong, she would retreat into, you know, this, I'm the victim and you can't monster me. And now, you know, as this relationship came apart, as it fell apart, that she has told the most appalling lies about you, right? And successfully so and has manipulated other people into denying you access to your children, partial custody of your children. And if you know that these things aren't true, the things she said about you, you perhaps are now wondering whether the things she told you about her previous boyfriend are true. Some people who are terrible people who undermine the legitimate claims and the legitimate life experiences and needs of people who've actually been victimized will claim to have been victimized because they can use that victim status and it's a kind of status in a situation like this to manipulate and control people. Maybe that's the case here. That wasn't your question though. I don't feel, I just feel obligated to like roll that all out, right? What people have been told about you by her is wrong. Maybe what you were told by her about her ex was also wrong. How do you move on? Wow, these are deep wounds. You had children with her that you are not going to be involved in raising, that you're not going to have access to. That's nothing I can fix on my stupid little sex advice podcast. That's something you're going to have to unpack with a therapist at great length. You're going to have to grieve that. Grieve this relationship. Grieve the relationship that you're not going to have with these children. Do your best to stay in their life however it is you're allowed to be in their life. Letters, gifts, cards, calls, whatever it is you're allowed to do for them, do it for them. 
even if it hurts to do it for them, even if it feels better to pull away, just let them know that you're there and you're out there. If their mother is crazy and controlling and horrible, she will tell her children crazy and horrible things about their dad, about you. But as they grow up and they begin to see her for who she really is, they may come to doubt the things that they've been told about you and reach out to you themselves if you've attempted to maintain a presence, if you've been golden that whole time. But that wasn't your question. Your question was, how do you move on? It's going to be a long, slow, moving on process. The only assurance I can give you is that most people aren't fucking crazy and malicious and horrible and that your experience with this woman, the mother of your children, don't extrapolate from that that your experiences with all women going forward will be similarly horrible and awful. Most women that you date, it won't work out. Most relationships fail. Every relationship you're ever going to be in is going to fail until one doesn't. You will move on from this relationship. You will have other relationships. You will have good experiences and bad experiences. Do not regard the bad experiences as confirmation that you will only ever have bad experiences and that all women are horrible and awful and relationships are terrible and awful because it's not true. Bad experiences are just part of it. It's part of the winnowing and sifting until you get to somebody that you can have more good experiences with than bad experiences. And that's the kind of person you wind up with for the rest of your life. And the takeaway from your past relationship, your only relationship, is to go into new relationships with your bullshit detectors firing. You don't have children with someone because they're convinced that God told them that that's what God wants. You don't have children with someone who hears voices, who has imaginary friends who tell them what to do. Because those people are fucking crazy. I'm not saying that all religious people and all people of faith are fucking crazy. My mother was a religious person. My mother was a Catholic. My mother was a person of faith. She wasn't fucking crazy, though. She didn't sit up in bed one day and say, God told me to paint the house orange. God told me to have 12 more children. God told me to send a lovely fruit basket to the Duggars on the occasion of their 44th child's birth. Same religious people don't hear voices. Joseph Smith hears voices. The leaders of the Mormon church, they hear voices. Your batshit crazy ex-wife got communiques from God telling her what to do with her uterus. Don't date people who are like that going forward. Date sane, sensible people who of faith or not of faith don't hear voices. Don't obey the orders of their imaginary friends but do what they think is right for themselves and their partners and their families based on the evidence at hand, based on their own capacity to reason and weigh the risks and the rewards. You're only 28. You're not so old. You will meet new people. You'll have good and bad experiences. You'll have a better sense of when you're being lied to and when you're not being lied to when you've been with a liar. That's what you take away when you've been with a manipulative, controlling, abusive liar. You walk away with scars and you have scars, but you also walk away with better bullshit detectors and a lower threshold, lower tolerance for this kind of treatment. So get out there, get a therapist, date, take it slow. Don't make any more babies until you're ready to make a baby for a good and rational reason. And that does not include my imaginary friend said it was time. Hi, Dan. My name is Meg. Uh, I've been married for seven years. I, we have a four-year-old. When I got married, my husband confessed to me that he liked to look at gay porn sometimes. I thought it stemmed from him being molested when he was about 12 and that it was just a compulsion that he liked to do, but he didn't have to do it. But over the years, he did it quite a few times and, and 
you know, he'd either tell me about it or I'd catch him or I'd find a dildo or something. And so it just kind of grew and I got a little nervous that it seemed more like something he couldn't control. Anyway, he joined the military when we were 29 and we just had our kid was about three and I was very upset that he did that. I couldn't help but think that maybe it had something to do with him being attracted to guys. While he was gone, I cheated on him. And I told him right when he got back. And we tried to work it out over a year. We had a pretty good year. And then he left again for more Army training. And I cheated on him again and told him about it again. And this time, he said it's over. And he went and had sex with uh, you know, like half a dozen guys on Craigslist. Anyway, my question now is he wants to get back together. He wants us to be together. I am having a hard time dealing with it. Uh, I agreed to have a threesome with him to just kind of see. And so we did it and I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy seeing him with another guy and I'm having a hard time with it. He's good in bed, he's well endowed, but it's it's a turnoff for me when I think about him being with another guy or wanting another guy, and I'm not sure how to get over that. Quickly before I get to your question, people look at gay porn, adult men look at gay porn because they are gay or bi, not because they were molested. Uh, your husband, if he was molested, that's a coincidence, not a causation of his sexual orientation or sexual identity or anything. It's really kind of irrelevant. And a lot of LGBT kids, a lot of gay and bi boys, particularly gay boys who are effeminate, are targeted for abuse by predators who know that that kid's own sense of conflict and shame about their sexual orientation will make that kid less likely to go get help or report to an adult what happened to them, lest that kid draw attention to this thing he's trying to hide from everybody else. So a lot of kids who are queer are targeted for abuse, are molested because they're queer. It doesn't make them queer. Anyway, it's just a pet peeve of mine. Just want to address that quickly, put it out of the way. Your question, can you make this work? Sure, you could make this work. Uh, the issue is, do you want to make this work? And it doesn't sound like you want to make it work. And it doesn't sound like you actually can make it work in the way he means and you mean when you say make it work. Because when I say make it work, the work that I'm thinking of is companionate marriage. You guys clearly are not sexually compatible. His hunger for cock, his bisexuality is a libido killer for you that you need to be with a guy who isn't into dudes. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are a lot of people out there, a lot of women out there who would be into watching their husband suck a little dick every once in a while and that would turn them on. You're not one of those women and you have a right to your own sexuality, your own erotic script, your own fantasies and this doesn't fall within them. You want to be with a man who wants pussy and only pussy, wants women and only women and he ain't that guy sexually. It doesn't work for you. It is his desire, his hunger for cock, his gay desires are for you what uh, dear prudence would call a libido killer. And you can't necessarily reach into erotic imagination and yank that out. You tried. You gave it a chance. It's not going to work. So you guys either live together as friends and co-parents and love and support each other and there can be a certain kind of intimacy, even physical intimacy between you. But you see other men. He sees other men. And you have a kind of open companionate marriage. It could work that way. There are lots of marriages out there. 
that work that way. Ethically, honestly, openly. No one's being deceived. No one's being lied to. And it works. It can indeed work. But it doesn't sound like what you want. Because when you say work, what I think you mean is can you guys be each other's primary sex partner firing on all cylinders and have this other stuff in your life too? Allow him to have this other stuff, dick, in his life too. And I don't think you can allow him to have that because if he has that, it disqualifies him from being your primary sexual partner and the focus of your erotics. So it won't work. Hey, Dan. Uh, I know I just missed your um, your pee-drinking doctor specialist, uh, Barack, but I'm, I'm a guy that uh, likes to drink pee, and I've had some partners in the past that take uh, prescription benzodiazepines like Ativan or um, Lorazepam. And I just started working in healthcare where I can be drug tested uh, pretty um, for, for a lot of different reasons. So I wanted to know if there is a possibility of having benzodiazepines show up in my system from drinking my partner's pee. Please let me know. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to keep doing this, but it, it's not worth losing my job if it's something that uh, will, will show up. We'll double check with Dr. Barack about this question. I'm sure he'll be delighted when I call him at home tonight to ask him. But I think I can field this one myself because years ago I wrote a column uh, where I got the medical pros in to address the fact that somebody – uh, was drug tested, lost their job because there was THC, the active ingredient in marijuana, in his urine, but he himself didn't smoke pot. But the guy whose piss he was drinking smoked pot and apparently there was enough THC in the urine of the guy that he was drinking the piss of for it to show up in his urine. And I'm sad to say that benzodiazepines are also present in the urine of people who use them. And you could see why if you're working in a hospital, uh, they might drug test you and they might have concerns if they believed you were taking recreationally or uh, illicitly benzodiazepines because they cause cognitive impairment and they can cause people to be aggressive. And also I love this behavioral disinhibition occasionally occurs. So yeah, this is potentially a problem. Uh, according to what I'm reading, I'm reading about the drug right now, uh, it is gone from the body after three days. So if the person you're, you're servicing, if the person whose urinal you are playing uh, is only occasionally taking benzodiazepine, you might want to wait until they haven't been on it for three or four days or a week before you drink up. Hello, Dan. I'm in a wonderful poly by freeform sort of coupledom with my husband. However, I'm also in the military. I'm just wondering how I can be an advocate for poly lifestyles without losing my job. What are, what are your suggestions with that? Joining us by phone, Diana Adams. She's an attorney with a law firm based in New York City who supports clients who are LGBTQ, polyamorous, or in non-traditional family structures. And she's a frequent guest on the podcast. Welcome back, Diana. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Uh, so this call raises interesting questions because poly people do sometimes face workplace discrimination. But the wrinkle here, the, the wrench in the being tossed in is she's in the military and adultery is a crime under military codes of justice. Isn't that right? Yes. Adultery is still a crime um, under Article 133 and 134 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And um, 
there's also provisions against conduct that's unbecoming of an officer. And of course, what does unbecoming of an officer mean? I'm sure that some people think that polyamory is not very becoming. I think it's very becoming on me. Um, but I think that that people um, really go with the cultural trends here. The military is not a trendsetter when it comes to cultural values. And I'm sure that this, these codes against unbecoming conduct were being used against uh, people who are gay and lesbian 15 years ago. So I think we're not there yet in terms of the military being willing to accept people who are polyamorous. I think in particular, if they're married, if she's in a primary marital relationship, then that's definitely going to be considered adultery, um, particularly if she wants to be open about it. So she's wondering whether she's a good candidate to be an advocate for the poly lifestyle. And the answer is not while you're in the military. I think that she has a powerful opportunity to be an advocate anonymously online through the magic of the Internet in talking about the fact that, wow, we still can't be out in many different jobs as polyamorous people. We can't be out about having um, the kind of sex and relationships we want to with consenting adults. And that's true for many people who work in big corporations who can get fired. Um, that's true for people I hear from who are marching in the gay pride parade with the poly contingent and get called into um, HR offices around the country. And that's definitely true for people in the military. So I think that she can take her activism online and try to be anonymous with that. Um, and, and that also is something that can be powerful and effective. I, I think that could be really compelling. You know, the issue is she can't do it openly, so she's doing it anonymously. And that would draw attention if, the, if her blog, if she just creates a blog to talk about this, gets any attention that will draw attention to the, the conflict to this problem for people who are poly in the military. So she can be an advocate, just not publicly so. Absolutely. And I think she's already doing that because now she's raised this issue. She had both of us thinking about the fact that we don't have that kind of freedom to be out as poly people in many careers, including the military. And that's something that raises awareness for all of us and helps us start to question as a culture whether or not we want to be putting those kinds of restrictions on people and giving that much power to employers. Diana Adams, thanks so much for jumping on the phone with us today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Always happy to be here. Hi, Dan. This is a 24-year-old queer guy in Washington, and I have just come to realize that I am queer, but there's a weird thing with my job. My job actually had me sign something that said I have to believe that homosexuality is not okay. It's a religious organization, and totally not all religious, all religious organizations are like that, but this one happens to be. But the problem is I'm living at home and kind of need a job to eventually get out of the house, and it's hard to come across a job. And I also haven't told my parents because I'm living under the roof and I'm not really sure how they're going to feel about the whole situation. So I'm just calling to kind of ask what you think would be the best option to not tell my job so I can get enough money to move out of the house, or do I tell my parents? I, my parents, it might be kind of awkward living under their roof and telling them, them that I'm queer. I got in trouble in 2000 because I went uh, behind the scenes at Gary Bauer's campaign for president in Iowa. And, you know, I behaved like kind of an asshole and I was a jerk. Uh, and Salon wrote about, I wrote a piece about it for Salon. I wrote a piece about it for The Stranger. Uh, and everybody blew up at me because I'm a real jerk. You can go look that piece up if you want. Um, just Google Dan Savage, Gary Bauer, The Stranger Salon. Pops right up, including the whole controversy attached to it. An interesting thing happened though. You know, I was working back, I was volunteering on the Bauer campaign and he's a right wing, anti gay, psychotic, anti choice bigot. And I was volunteering and doing some jerky stuff around the edges. Nothing monkey wrenchy, just some jerky stuff. You can go read about it. 
but interesting thing happened like years later, eight years later, I got an email from somebody who had also been working on the Bauer campaign at that time, uh, letting me know that they thought I did a good job that, you know, they actually, I, I did phone banking in the office with everybody and it wasn't a huge staff. Like the guy was not going to get the nomination for fucking president, but I was calling people, calling people before the Iowa caucuses, talking them into voting for Gary Bauer. And I'm familiar enough with the right wing bat shittery that I can regurgitate it on command, you know, debate team style, take that side. And I was ta- I was legit talking people into voting for Gary fucking Bauer. And they were impressed. Everybody thought I was a, a good worker and a good volunteer and very articulate. Weird, huh? But eight years later, I got this email from this guy who was one of his campaign managers letting me know that, you know, he's really angry with me at the time that the piece came out. And a few years later, he's a little less angry. And a year after that, he came out of the closet and now he was marrying his male partner. And marriage was only possible for him because of the activities and actions of people who'd been out longer than him, right? And had been right wing deeply closeted religious fanatics as he had once been. So I tell you that long story uh, just to let you know that if you decide to take the job to sign the asshole thing and take their money and bank it and run, you won't be the first closeted gay dude who worked for an anti-gay religion, organization, politician who took the money and then came out a little later perhaps when it was a little easier and more convenient. We tell young people who are thinking about coming out. We tell teenagers who are thinking about coming out. Don't come out if you're going to wind up homeless or retaliated against. You have to come out from a position of some strength and security, right? You have to have a backup plan. You have to have a place to go lined up. You know, we tell this to 15-year-olds who think about coming out. Have a friend. Have a counselor. Have a teacher. You know, if you have parents of friends of yours who know you're gay and are willing to go to them and say, if my parents throw me out, can I stay here? Have a plan. Right now, you don't have a plan. You have parents you're not out to yet who you think may throw you out or have a problem with you living under their roof if they find out you're gay. You have an employer who's going to fire you if they find out you're gay. If you want to wait a year, save enough money so that you're in a position when you do come out to your parents that if they do throw you out, you will not be starving on the street. I say wait a year. Cash the checks, sock it away, make some big donations to organizations that are fighting for your rights, that are opposing what the organization you're actually working for is attempting to do to salve your conscience. And then come out. Come out from a position of strength and get your resume together immediately and keep looking for other jobs. A guy's got to eat and a guy can't eat dick alone. You're going to have to eat food and you've got to make some money. But I'm only giving you a year. By Thanksgiving next year, I expect to get a call from you letting me know, letting all of us know that you took the right wing anti-gay religious groups money for a year. But now you're out, out to your parents. You're out at your new job. You're out to your old employers and you're standing on your own two feet and living and sucking cock with some integrity. Hi, Dan. I have a question about the um, Gardasil vaccine. I went to the doctor when I was probably 25. I'm 28 now. And she told me that I was too old for the vaccine. And I've done a little research, and I think it may be because of the amount of partners I've been with. I'm not sure. And I'm wondering if it's something that I should have pushed for. Is it still something that would be good for me to do. I'm in a monogamous, committed relationship, but we are potentially going to open up our relationship someday in the future, and I want to be protected. 
Dr. Leah Torres is an OBGYN who specializes in reproductive health and practices in Utah. And you were just on the podcast a week or two ago talking about this very issue, recommending to a woman in her mid-20s that she get vaccinated for HPV, that she get the Gardasil vaccine. And here we have a woman in her mid-20s when she asked, being told by her doctor that it was too late. I've heard from other women that they've asked when they were in their 20s and been told no. And you're recommending that women in their 20s get it. What do you say to your doc when she's, when the doc, and it was a woman, says no to you when you ask for the HPV vaccine? This is unfortunately not uncommon. Um, I've heard several variations of the same story. And it's really unfortunate because the vaccine is approved for ages 9 to 26, and that's for both men and women, boys and girls. So when people come to me and say, gosh, my doctor told me I shouldn't get it, I am baffled and I say, well, I recommend it. Let's get it for you. I think that um, part of it is just lack of physician education. And I think it's also important to recognize that we are still very young with this vaccine, that the research is only about eight years old, and so we still have a long way to go. And right now, the studies that we do have only include ages 9 to 26. So those people that we have done research on are included in that age group and that age group alone. That's where the uh, recommendations come from. That's only based on the age group that we studied. And there's no magical thing that happens when you turn 27 that you can't get the vaccine. It's just that we don't have data specifically for that age range. Okay, so the caller says, should I get it now, now that she's 28? And your recommendation is yes. My recommendation is yes. Here's the tricky part. Her insurance probably won't cover it. And so that's where the problem lies most of the time is that insurance companies say, oh, well, we only cover it from ages 9 to 26 because that's what the FDA has approved. So they hold on to that criteria, leaving a lot of people without coverage. And it's not a cheap vaccine. I think in some places you can get each vaccine for about $100, but it's a series of three. Mm-hmm. So that's 300 to $400. Okay, well, let's let's assume just for sake of argument that she's a member of the 1% and that she can swing the cost, the full cost of the vaccine for herself. And she goes in and says, I want the vaccine. I'm a 28-year-old woman. You're my doctor. I'd like the vaccine. And the doctor says no. What should she say to her doctor at that point? How should she push for it? Because people, you know, people are, as you know, you're a doctor. People, people are very deferential to their doctor's authority and their doctor's power. They don't like to, when the doctor says you don't need this, say, I'm going to overrule you. So how do you overrule your doctor at a moment like that? As a doctor, how would you recommend, uh, what, what language do, do, do we civilians use in telling you, no, you're wrong? That's an excellent question. And I really encourage people to ask questions of their doctors. So what I would recommend is if your doctor says no, ask why. So they should be able to provide either a reasonable explanation or evidence to back up what they're saying. Mm -hmm. If they come back with something that doesn't sound credible, then that should raise some red flags. And also, you're welcome to get a second opinion. I tell people all the time, if what your doctor has told you sounds odd or strange, definitely get a second opinion. I encourage that of everybody. Those my patients included, I tell them, you know what, please, by all means, get a second opinion. Let's make sure we're all doing the right thing. I have a question about the way the HPV virus works. The standard sort of uh, observation for, you know, for reasons we don't understand, a lot of people's bodies clear the virus after infection. That if you had an HPV, you had an outbreak, you were diagnosed, that doesn't mean three years later you still have HPV, correct? That holds uh, generally for 
women of younger age, so those who, you know, vaguely have not reached their mid-20s. Okay, so if you were diagnosed with HPV at 20, your doctor might then say when you're 25, well, it's too late for you to get the vaccine, but that may not be true, correct? Because if your body has cleared the virus, the vaccine could then still be effective? Or do you have the antibodies at that point that makes the vaccine moot? No, no, no. See, an important part of this is that even if you don't clear the virus, get the vaccine because it protects against the other variants of the virus. And so you're always going to have protection by getting the vaccine. You may not clear that specific variant of HPV if you still have it from 20 to 25, Mm -hmm. but there's added protection from other variants of the virus. Because there's not just one HPV virus, there's what, 112 of them? There's at least, yes, there's over 100, yes. Okay, so... Your advice, Dr. Leah Torres, go in and slam your fist down on the table and say, God damn it, give me the vaccine. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and if, if, you know, if this goes for anybody with any sort of healthcare provider anywhere, if something doesn't jive, if something doesn't sound right, ask questions. And slam your, your fist down on like the table and them, say, give me the, <laughs> say, give me the oxy, God damn it. Will that work? Yeah. That won't work. I still recommend that. <laughs> and there's no second or third opinion on that one. It's like, no, you can't just walk That's in and demand right. oxy. But you can and should walk in and demand the HPV vaccine. Absolutely. Dr. Leo Torres, thank you so much for jumping on the phone with us. We always appreciate it. You're so helpful and informative. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Dan. Hey, Dan. I'm a 22-year-old college student. So over the summer, I was seeing this guy for a little bit, and I I don't know, I I wasn't into it. There wasn't anything in particular why I kind of ended things. I just didn't really see us dating, so it kind of fizzled out. Uh, Anyway, about a month ago, we started things up again, and in the beginning, it was going really well, but I could definitely see that he wasn't pursuing me as much as he was before, so I was kind of the one texting and making plans. But, uh, you know, it was still going really well, and I started to really like him. And then about three nights ago, I got completely shit-faced with my friends and went home about 2 in the morning and texted him. He told me that he was going to bed, that I should come over soon and cuddle. So, I mean, that obviously meant come over another night. I'm about to fall asleep. But in my drunken state, I was like, it's going down tonight whether you like it or not. So I see my neighbor, by the way. So I waltz on over to his house, go right through the front door, go into his bedroom. And I literally have no recollection of what happened after that. All I remember is there's a little flashback of me dry heating in his bathroom and possibly trying to talk about my feelings that were probably crazy and irrational at the time. But the next morning, he saw my roommate in the front yard and was like, damn, Dan uh, was really deep last night. He probably said some things he was going to regret today. And I texted him, I'm so sorry about last night. And his answer is kind of like, oh, don't sweat it. It happens. But we haven't talked since. I think I really freaked him out, probably said some shit I really shouldn't have said. But I'm really starting to like him. What do I do? Is it too late? Do I scare away? Yours is the kind of call that I describe as, here, Dan, unscrew this pooch for me. Somebody runs up to me with a screw, a pooch that they've screwed. It's screwed on so fucking tight, this pooch. There's no amount of WD-40. There's no leverage. There's no unscrewing this pooch. You cannot budge this pooch. But they think I can just 
look at the pooch that they screwed and magically Lucy lefty that thing. Magically unscrew that fucking pooch. No, I can't unscrew this pooch. If you were so fucked up when you showed up at this guy's house that he no longer wishes to date you because he doesn't want to date somebody who's a train wreck because he doesn't need that kind of chaos in his life because you said things to him that you don't remember saying but that are un- unsayable that you can't unsay. I can't make him date you again. You can only apologize, which you've done and good for you that you apologize. You can only apologize and say that you're really embarrassed. You can mention that this is unlike you, has never happened before, that you learned your lesson that night. You're never going to do that again and that includes drinking that much until you're so disinhibited you think it might be a good idea to run over somewhere and do it. It's going down tonight whether you like it or not. No, you're never going to get that fucked up ever again. Assure him of all of that and then you slink away. And if they want to date you again, they will let you know. And they might not – he might not reach out. He might not write you back. He might feel well rid of you. And then he'll reassess who you are when he runs into you. You're in college, right? When he runs into you in the natural course of events, you're a gay dude in college. You're going to see each other at the bar. You're going to see each other on the grinder. You're going to run into each other on the quad. And if you are appropriately soberish, abashed the first time, still a little apologetic, but not prostrate about it or prostate about it. He may think, oh, okay, what he said when he said this isn't like him and this never happened to him, I think it might be – it must be true because I haven't seen him be messy again. And it may be six months or a year and at that point he may say, hey, you want to hang out again sometime? But for right now, while his bathroom still stinks of your vomit, yeah, no, he's not going to call you or text you or date you. Apologize. Back away. Don't fucking screw pooches on that tight ever again and then ask for my help unscrewing them. Please. We're going to take a quick break from the calls because there is a book I want you guys to know about. It's a hard book to talk about on the podcast for reasons that will be abundantly clear in a second. Erica Moen, she's the cartoonist behind Oh Joy Sex Toy, which is a weekly comic, which is why it's difficult to talk about on a podcast or on the radio. But it's a weekly comic about sex toys and sex education. Uh, and it's genius. If you haven't seen it, go to ojoysextoy.com and start to click through and look at the stuff. It is so smart. Uh, a lot of it is sex toy reviews, but there's really great and informative stuff about the reproductive health system, how it works, about uh, abortion, about uh, gender identity, about sexual orientation, about everything. It is great, informative stuff presented in a funny, approachable way, and I am a huge fan. And her first book, Erica Moen's first book, <laughs> is out. It's Ojoy Sex Toy. It's a collection of her comic strips and she joins us by phone from portland so uh, what was the genesis of oh joy sex toy how did it get started oh my goodness well um it actually goes back about 10 years and uh when i was a sophomore in college i put together this mini comic that was 16 pages about how uh cisgender women fuck each other because i was with my girlfriend and we get all these questions that were totally inappropriate from strangers and i'd like you'd get really offended and be like hey fuck off buddy that's super rude but at the same time, people were asking these questions because they honestly did not know. Um, and I realized that nobody really learns anything when you're yelling at them and calling an asshole. So it's like, okay, I'm going to make this really approachable, easy, friendly comic that explains like how shit goes down and, and like why you would want to do this stuff and, and how it's done and all that. So how, do, how do two women have sex with each other? I still don't understand after all that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's scissoring. That's just all it is. <laughs> 
I, I thought it was mostly like laying in bed together and watching. We television. talk about our feelings a lot. Yeah, processing <laughs> instead of we, sex. We process. That's that's how you get close. So uh, so yeah, so I did that comic, and then I went and I met. I went to England for a weekend uh, when I was studying abroad. And I met this really hot British guy and he was like, Erica, that comic you did was brilliant. You need to do more sex education stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll do that someday. And uh, that guy is now my husband. Um, we've been together just about 10 years and married for six. And over the course of our relationship, so nearly a decade, he's been like, Erica, when are you going to do more sex ed? Erica, seriously, to do sex ed comics. And I'd always be like, yeah, later I will. I'll do it someday. And I was doing all these other little projects. And, um, and then I went on this reality TV show <laughs> called Strip Search, which is about cartoonists, not about um, actual stripping, mm-hmm. which I would have been cool with, but that is not where my skills are. So you went on Strip Search and that was what inspired the creation of Ojoy Sex Toy? Well, kind of. There's um, Okay, so there's this comic called Penny Arcade and their business manager is named Robert Koo. And he turned this comic that was very popular but not making any money and he made it a multi-million dollar business that has its own conventions and da 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 and the reason why I went on the show is I wanted to meet this guy and be like, how do you make money out of comics? Because I'm trying and I'm failing. And so I got to go sit down and have dinner with him. And he was like, Erica, you should be doing sex ed comics. And I was like, aha, what a good suggestion. And I came back <laughs> from the trip and I was like, honey, guess what? I'm going to do the sex ed comic. And he was like, oh my God, are you fucking kidding me? He was like, I'm going to murder you now. Like I've been saying it, but you needed to hear it from a multimillionaire who's already doing it. You know, it just had to be somebody I wasn't married to, I guess, <laughs> for it to sink in. But How um, but often yeah. have we said that to our partners? Um, I know, right? <laughs> I want to jump back to something you said, because I think that's really that really underlies a lot of sort of, uh, I think this free floating rage and anger in a lot of sexual minority communities out there. When mm-hmm. someone asks you a question mm-hmm. that goes to the heart of your difference because they're genuinely curious, mm-hmm. I don't think blowing up at them is always the right response. I don't yeah. think you have to answer every question. Yeah, But I actually do think that we need people out there in the world who are kind of charged with answering those questions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have to remind people that when I first started writing Savage Love, gay men were really mad at me. Because I told the truth about gay sex. I wrote very explicitly about gay sex. And 25 years ago when Savage Love started, the tack we were supposed to take when somebody asked a gay person, like, what do you do in bed? We were supposed to say, we read and watch TV and sometimes we sleep and sometimes we make love. What do you do in bed? We had to be this sort of prickly and defensive. And that didn't answer. They couldn't – they wanted to know because they couldn't let go of their obsession yeah. about what we were actually doing and then see the rest of us because they were just so focused on like, well, how do you fuck? And the minute you tell them how you fuck, they're like, okay, no more. Stop. Okay, <laughs> I get it. I, I, I can't see it now. And I, my attack was I'm going to tell you about how we fuck until you're running from the room when you ask me that question. I will unpack it so in such detail and such explicitness that you will never have to ask anybody about that ever again. And you really do that in OJ sex, in OJ sex toy. You really unpack stuff. <laughs> And I think that's really valuable and should be recognized as really valuable to people who don't want to be asked those questions, people who don't want to have to answer them, that you need the Erica Moens and you need the Dan Savages out there going, ask me. I'll tell you. I'll tell you about gay sex. I'll tell you about how two women do it. I'll tell you about surgeries, if that's what you're curious about, in genitals. I think Transland needs that designated answerer. Yeah, I um, I mean, like disclaimer, I I definitely don't think everybody is required to answer when they're asked those questions. You know, everybody's got their their own, I don't know, their boundaries, blah blah blah. But I I do think spreading education and spreading information is a really 
powerful way to combat ignorance about this stuff. And it humanizes people when they can know the answers to these things and they're not going to get chewed out for asking. And if you want them to see your, your common shared humanity, they really have to understand your differences first. Oh, I never and once, thought of it like that. Once they understand your differences, they can really see what's the same. They can really see what's similar. And I do think that's kind of what your comics do. I think that's what Savage Love does. Is after a while, people, you know, a lot of people start reading Savage Love or listening to the show because they want to be shocked and titillated by like the crazy <laughs> sex stories. And after a while, they're like, oh, all these crazy sex stories, the vulnerability, the desire, the lust, the pain, the heartbreak, the joy, all that's the same. Yeah, it's universal. Even if the plumbing and some of the mechanics are different, even if some of the social dynamics are different. The, the feelings are the same. Uh, I, I do think, you know, to parents out there, a lot of parents listen to this show. You know, you could give this book to your kids, but there's stuff in there about sex toys and bondage. Like it really – sex toy reviews. And a lot of parents are uncomfortable sort of acknowledging to their children the existence of sex toys. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, kids know about sex toys. But if, you, if you're the kind of parent who's not trying to hide the existence of sex with your kid, this is great sex ed material. Well, it also, by including the sex toy reviews, it's showing that you should be deriving pleasure from your genitals, which is a message that women don't get, girls don't get. We're not taught, like, you should be masturbating, you should be feeling good, you should be having orgasms before you start becoming sexually active with a partner. And so I think, like, even uh, officially, I have to say, my comic is for ages 18 and older, because I don't want to get sued, (laughs) but... I can't help it if somebody younger than 18 finds my comics, sees the sex re- uh, the sex toy reviews, and is like, oh, maybe I should be masturbating. Oh, maybe I should learn how my body works. Oh, it should be feeling good for me. Well, I, I just want to second it. I think that's so important. I'm always telling – you know, I, one of the points I've made on the show a billion times is young men arrive at partnered sex experts at their genitals. They know how mm-hmm. they work. They know how to get themselves off. They know what their plateaus feel like. They know what the point of inevitability, inevitability feels like. Mm-hmm. They know how their dicks go, right? Yeah. It's right there. <laughs> and so many young women arrive at partnered sex and are at, without ever having masturbated, without ever having an orgasm, and they look at this boy and say, okay, make me come. Yeah. No. I mean I didn't – And he can't. First- he no, can't. I, when I first started trying to learn how to masturbate, which was in my very late teens, like I, it didn't work. Uh, it, I didn't understand it. I felt really broken. And then I bought my first vibrator and I had my first orgasm and it, it changed my life. <laughs> oh, do you so, still have that vibrator? Uh, no, it was, it was like, uh, at the time it was nine ninety nine. These days are more like 15 bucks, but it was a silver bullet vibe and those are not made to last, but I did a comic about it. So, um, Yeah. Before we let you go, I want you to talk really quickly. You know, you, ha- you you cover important stuff in here. There's a comic that you did that I think is really smart and really informative. That's about emergency contraception. Yes. Uh, well, funny story. I didn't actually fully understand how emergency contraception worked until I started researching in order to do that comic. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, because I – I'd heard everybody saying it's not abortion, it's not abortion, but I didn't. It was like, well, it's a pill that stops you from the pregnancy from happening. That kind of sounds like abortion, doesn't it? But no, it is not. Uh, it prevents the uh, the sperm from meeting egg in the first place, and it, it is exactly like a regular hormonal birth control. But yeah, so I did a comic just to literally illustrate exactly how that works, and I showed in the uterus like. You know, abortion happens here in the uterus after conception has taken place. And emergency contraception happens here in the fallopian tube. And it stops the egg from jumping into a pile of sperm. And when people could literally see that, mm-hmm. I think it really helps them understand. And so, and oh, God, I got some shit because uh, the, the character I had in the comic, uh, for those that haven't seen my comics, 
I have my a little cartoon version of myself narrating things, and then I have this uh, roving, rolling cast of different characters who actually are the ones who are naked, and they're the ones who are like showing their bits and using toys and fucking on on the page because I don't want to draw myself doing and, that. And <laughs> I just want to really quickly throw in there that rov- that roving cast, that 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 large cast of characters who roll in and out of your comics, incredibly and effortlessly diverse. Oh, I'm glad it looks effortless because it stresses me out. <laughs> it just never seems like it never seems like you're tagging bases. Like you're reading along and, and and you're going, yeah, I hear people of all different shapes and sizes. Here are people of different abilities. Here are people of different orientations and genders and gender expressions. And they're all a part of this conversation in your comics in a way that doesn't seem like you're pointing at yourself and going, look at how high minded I am. <laughs> Guys, I am so open minded. No, it's not like that. <laughs> Although I do really stress out about it because I, I I I keep this giant folder of just all these different people, a variety of body shapes and races and blah, 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 blah. Well, it comes across. It totally comes across in the comics. Anyone who oh, comes to this expecting to only see white uh, people of a certain body type uh, and a traditional gender expression, I think will be delighted at, oh. at the representation and how joyful it is. Like that, that's, that's what I get when I look at the book and I, and I read your comics. It's so joyful, which is what sex should be, but you're not running away from the dark stuff. You're not running away from the difficult stuff. But the joy like just sort of infuses and informs the whole project. And I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, uh, but so to go back to emergency contraception, this character is like, hey, listen, I'm not cool with abortion, so I'm not going to take this pill. And then I get to explain to them, like, no, 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 it's okay. This is not abortion. And I got shit from people being like, Erica, this comic was way too pro-life and you're giving a voice to them. It's like, Dude, the people that most need to know that this pill is not abortion are the people who are against abortion. I, I want the somebody who's like, I would never get an abortion. I want them to know it's okay to take this pill. It does not conflict with your views at all. But I guess that was humanizing them too much. So You can represent everybody on earth in your comics and everyone's going to celebrate that and think that's awesome until you get around to representing somebody who has qualms with abortion. Yeah. <laughs> then, then represent. Then you've taken that representation shit too far. Yeah, yeah, right. One last thing I want to throw out there uh, based on something you said when you said that you did the comic about emergency contraception because you were learning about it or had to learn about it Mm -hmm. uh, we are both in the position where we appear to know everything and we appear to be omniscient because by the time we you know write the column or put it out there we got we went out hopefully and got the answer and got the right answer yeah I people keep saying I'm a sex educator and I really do not think that I am because I I haven't studied this I mean I know the things that I know and I do not know the things that I do not know. And when I did a comic about how pregnancy works, I found out that I did not understand how it works. I thought you get pregnant in the uterus. I didn't realize that you're getting pregnant in your fallopian tube, and then it goes down into the uterus. And I was like, wow, well, I failed that one, but uh, I learned it for the comic. <laughs> the first time I wrote about the clitoris, I put it on the back of the shoulder. I Isn't that where it is? No, apparently not. I got all these angry letters. Oh, shit, I've been doing it wrong. So we have one call this week that I think uh, I'd like you to answer with me if you'd be up for it. I'm totally up for it. Hey, Dan. Um, just a quick question. Is it normal for me to prefer to use my toy over having sex with an actual person? I am attracted to him. He is good looking. His penis is great. But I was just, I don't know. I just don't want to hook up with him or anyone else, to be honest. I would just rather stay home and use my toy. Is this normal? Like, am I addicted to my toy now? This woman likes sex toys or likes this particular vibrator better than any of the 3.5 billion men on the planet. What should she do? I think that's okay. She should keep rocking out with it. Um, although I do want to say, uh, she was asking, you know, is this normal? Yeah. 
yeah, sure. No, that's normal. I mean, it's making you happy. It's not hurting you. It's not impeding your ability to socialize with other people. So that's all great. I would add on a, a, a here's something you could do suggestion, which is use your toy when you're with somebody that you want to bone with. Because, um, like, man, some of the best orgasms I've had are when I was getting fucked and I had a vibrator on my clit, and that is amazing. So I, it's not like one or the other. You can only have dick or you can only have a sex toy. Just put them together and, and see what happens. There's also the possibility, and I, and I hate to be one of these people, but she could be asexual and just not into mm-hmm. humans. You know, not all asexual people are uh, averse to masturbation. Like some people think that if you're asexual, you have no sexual desire, no sexual interest, you don't masturbate. And there are asexual people out there who masturbate, who have some sort of sex drive, but it's just not directed toward others. Okay, yeah, and that's totally fair enough. Just rock out with your toy then. Although she did say that she loves this one guy's dick, which to me kind of implies like she can have fun with it. So I don't know. Like if she's asexual and she doesn't want to be dealing with other bodies all up on hers, totally cool. You're normal. It's fine. If you do like that dick and you want to have an orgasm too, maybe put the vibrator and the dick together. Oh, yeah, maybe you're right. Actually, I'm going to come around. I'm going to set that aside and I'm going to agree with you that this may Ooh. be a case where she can only climax with a vibrator and if she has, but she enjoys sex and she hasn't thought to reconcile the two. That she's preferring the vibrator because she can get off with it. Guys are nice. She likes this guy's dick. He's nice. She likes the relationship, but she's frustrated by the sex because she doesn't climax well. Incorporate the vibrator into the sex and you will climax. And you can also like put the vibrator in your your partner's hands too and let them get you off with a toy. And that's not like, oh, they failed to get you off with their own body parts. It's like, no, they're getting you off. You guys are still having sex even with a toy involved. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He built me a house, but he used a hammer. That makes me sad. He needs to use (laughs) his bare hands. Yeah, it's not a real house. It's a toy. It's a tool. Right. It's not a real house unless you built it with spit and fingers. Yeah. No, bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> Erica Moen, the book is Oh Joy Sex Toy. The comic is Oh Joy Sex Toy. I recommend it to everyone of all ages. I would particularly recommend it to parents of teenagers. Get this book, hide it in the house, make it seem like it's not for them, dare them to go find it and <laughs> read it like our parents hid uh, Joy of Sex high on a shelf and we went and got it. Erica, thank you so much for jumping on the phone. Oh, you're so welcome. And can I plug my book event that's coming up? Absolutely. Okay, well, if, if you are in Portland, uh, you being everybody, but also you too, Dan Savage, uh, Portland, December 7th at Shebop at their brand new Division Street location, I'm having a book signing, and Shebop's going to have 10% off of my most favorite toys, and, uh, and I'm going to be giving out a free print, uh, limited edition, just for the event, and it's going to be super fancy. Go December 7th, Shebop in Portland, and go to ojoysextoy.com, that's O spelled with O-H, uh, to check out Erica's stuff and order her book. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, Dan. This is Alana. I am a 24-year-old lesbian, and I have a bit of a confusing situation. The only thing I really know for sure is that I do like girls. I don't really identify as anything else. I wouldn't mind dating a guy, and it's never been something that I've completely scratched off my list, but... It's just something I don't do. I don't actively seek it out, but it would not be the worst thing. I met a girl about a year ago and we started talking and, you know, we lost touch and we recently found each other back on OkCupid and started talking again and things have been great and it's something I really needed. She's a really good person and I'm really happy, but 
she recently told me that she thinks that she's transsexual and before she was strictly lesbian. I don't really know how to reconcile with this. I, I am not sure how I feel about it. And I also don't want to be that douchebag who just tries something out and I don't, you know, fully support her. I, I do support her. I just don't want to be the person who at the end of the day is like, oh, well, we're dating, but I can't do this. I want to be honest with her and tell her this, but my friend says not to worry so much about it. And she told me that she wants to be with me long term and that's great, but I still don't know if I can. And I just wanted to know what I should do. Maybe should I tell her how I feel so at least she knows or should I just keep things the way they are and just hope for the best? I'm going to make short work of this. You are a lesbian. You are a woman who sleeps with women, who wants to be with women, although you occasionally fuck a dude. But when it comes to a romantic attachment, you are a lesbian identified and you want to be romantically attached to and involved with a woman. A trans man is not a woman. A trans man is a man. And you have an absolute right to say, I love and support you. And I think it's awesome that you know who you are now and I support you in your transition, but I can't be with you romantically. I can't be your partner because I wish to and eventually will partner with a woman. And that's not transphobic of me because I didn't say a cis woman. You said a woman. And this guy with whom you have reconnected is transitioning to male and has therefore disqualified themselves from being your potential romantic long-term interest. And in a way, some people argue that this is transphobic of you, but in a way you're affirming their new male, not new male, that's transphobic of me. They were always male. You're affirming their male identity. They're presenting male, transitioning male. You saying, I can't be with you because I am a lesbian and you are not a woman anymore affirms their maleness is actually bank shot supportive of the whole transition thing. And you should not be insecure or inhibited about it. Just put it out there. Hey Dan, my name is Kelly. I'm a 20 something living in the South with my fiance who is a woman. I came out to my parents about a year ago when I started dating my now fiance and about two months after coming out to them, my dad, a prominent religious figure, was diagnosed with a debilitating disease. When I told him that I had every intention of coming out to everyone else, my friends, my family, um, my Facebook friends, colleagues, he all but begged me not to for fear that his congregation would look down on him for having a gay daughter and would possibly fire him from the job that he needed during this time more than ever. And because I, I love my dad so much and I like my dad so much, I followed his wishes and a year ago when I came out to him, I, I promised, I said, okay, I, I won't do anything that might jeopardize your job. A year later, 
present time, I'm now engaged to that girlfriend who I came out to my parents with. And the fact that I can't be honest to people, or I feel like I can't be honest to people and still be loyal to my dad's wishes has completely taken over my life. I feel like I am stuck in the closet. I feel like I am locked in the closet. And I don't know how to move forward. I don't know how to live an honest life, which is what I want so badly. And I don't know how to be myself while omitting such a large part of me to everyone. Dan, how do I maintain the relationship with my father and with my fiance without (laughs) pissing everybody off? Uh, Any developments since you recorded your question? Oh, wow. No, I really do have a wonderful relationship with my dad other than this one piece of it. Other than the fact that he is using his illness and fear of his shitty congregation to manipulate you into staying into the closet for the rest of your life? Right. Other than that. <laughs> Other than that, which is pretty major. Listen, you know, Tony Perkins, who I'm sure you're familiar with if you were raised by right-wing fundamentalist congregation-leading Christians, he famously said on MSNBC on Chris Matthews' show that uh, gay people are created by shitty parents, that if you raise your kids right, you won't have gay kids. And he said this to Barney Frank, which was pretty hilarious. You might want to Google that and go watch that interview because Barney Frank and uh, Chris Matthews basically pulverized Tony Perkins at that moment. And it's delicious. Uh, So your father may have actually made that same argument or believed that same thing or encouraged his congregation to believe that, that gay people are sick and sinful and they come from bad families and they weren't raised right. And then what does it mean that he has a lesbian daughter? It means he's wrong. It means he was wrong about the shit that he's been saying. And what does it say about the congregation that your father has built up around him over these years that if you come out they're going to retaliate against him? Like what mm-hmm. awful people, what, what has he been saying that these are the people gathered around him? What has he been <laughs> preaching? That's a great question. I really don't know. I always thought it was a fairly liberal congregation as far as Christians go and was so surprised when he said something along those lines when I came out to him. Well, here's my advice for you. You ask, you know, what can I do? Is there a middle ground? There's no fucking middle ground. You can't be part out, especially in the era of social media, right? Everyone's connected. Everyone knows each other's stuff right away. And, you know, you're worried about pissing everybody off. But you know what you're doing right now? You're pleasing your father, so you're not pissing him off by telling a lie. And you're hurting your future wife by not telling the truth. And you really do. You go to dad and say this. I really have to walk in the truth and the light, dad. And my truth is that I am a lesbian. And I can't tell this lie for the rest of my life. And I've given you a year and it's over. I mean, that's off. That's the advice I always give queer kids coming out. Give your parents a year to have their fit. Tell them that you won't tell people. Tell them that you won't bring a girlfriend or boyfriend around. Tell them they can say any shitty thing, ask any horrible question they want. And at the end of the year, it's over and they treat you with respect or they're no, they don't get to see you, right? Because your leverage at that point, you know, your leverage as an adult child, you're in your mid-20s, your leverage over your parents is your presence, if they don't treat you with respect and kindness and decency, don't be present mm-hmm. in their lives. It's mm-hmm. your only leverage. And right now your father, by pointing to his illness or pointing to his shitty congregation and his need for this job, is manipulating you. 
because he's embarrassed by you. I mean, who knows how his congregation will really react? All these, I bet if all these people are conservative Christians in this congregation, they fucking voted for George Bush and Dick Cheney, even though Dick Cheney's daughter is a dyke. Oh, is she? You didn't know that? I I don't give a fuck about Dick Cheney. (laughs) I didn't know that. Dick Cheney's Cheney's daughter, uh, Mary, is a lesbian. Oh, okay. And she's married to a woman and they have children. And if you look at the pictures of election night 2004 when George W. Bush ran against gay marriage, when they ran anti-gay marriage amendments in I think a dozen states to help drive the Christian conservatives to the ballot, to the, to the voting booth, and they really – people said they won re-election because they campaigned against gay marriage. Look at this picture of George W. Bush on stage uh, on re-election night at their victory party and Mary mm-hmm. Cheney and her girlfriend are on stage with him. A lesbian couple and all, all these shitty people in your father's congregation, if they're these kind of right-wing conservatives who would fire their minister because his daughter is a lesbian, they all voted for George W. Bush. Yeah. Whose hmm. vice president's daughter eats pussy. So if – you know, I wonder if your father's telling the truth actually. I really do because if these people could vote for George and Dick despite Mary, they could put, give, give them a job and what a job they had turned around and did to the country – I can't imagine they're going to fire your dad. It just seems to me your dad's trying to avoid embarrassment by manipulating you. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered that. He's taking himself hostage. It's, you know, the Cleavon yeah. Little scene in Blazing Saddles, which is a reference that no one under 50 is going to get. But he's, <laughs> he's pointing a gun at his own head and saying, don't move or the Christian preacher gets it. He's taking himself right. hostage yeah. to, to keep you closeted because he's in – He's embarrassed. He, just want to, he doesn't want to do the work. He doesn't want to have to have the conversations. He doesn't want to have to walk back any shitty thing he ever said to his parishioners about his own daughter, about, about their queer kids. How, how many kids do you think have come through his office and told them that they were suffering from same-sex attraction? How many parents have probably come to him over the years because their son or daughter came out? Who knows what he said to them? And yeah. you're coming out on him loving you anyway and him accepting you and moving past his homophobia may end up in their eyes making him look like a real fucking hypocrite. Mm-hmm. And that's often right. the conservative problem. Like not until my kid comes out can I be for gay marriage. When my kid comes out, I'm, I, I come around on gay issues. When your kid came out, well, fuck you and fuck your kid. Right? That's the conservative right. MO on, on LGBT civil equality. Rob Portman was against gay marriage until his son came out. Now he's for it. So when somebody down the street, when that, you know, his neighbor's son came out, love thy neighbor. When his neighbor's son came out, fuck you, fuck your kid. Oh, my son's out? Oh, I love my kid. So I'm for gay marriage now. That may be your dad's predicament, that he's got a lot to walk back and he wants to avoid embarrassment or just run out the clock of you coming out long enough that he's retired before you come out. Right, right. You're in your mid-20s. You gave him a year. Tell him you're Mm -hmm. not going to, like, show up at church one day waving a rainbow flag and, you know, wearing a clit, it's what's for dinner t-shirt, but you're, you're not going to hide anymore. And you're, you, you're engaged to a wonderful woman and you're not going to be closeted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if that causes him trouble, if that causes him professional problems, they're of his own authorship. It's not your responsibility. It's not your fault. He bought into a homophobic theology, a homophobic worldview. He assembled for himself a homophobic congregation and kaboom, you've got a lesbian daughter. 
This is the rake you stepped on. I'm not the author of this disaster. You are. You didn't have to be a bigoted anti-gay piece of shit with a bigoted anti-gay congregation. That was a choice, a lifestyle choice, Dad, that you made. Yeah. Ovary up, ovary up. You got to be strong. And this is, you know, it sounds like I'm saying go beat the shit out of your father. This is how people come around, right? This is how people change. (laughs) And this is how a lot of people, you know, I I always bag on Rob Portman's dad for not coming around on gay marriage until his own son came out. But, you know, that's really the story of why we've had such success as a movement, LGBT people coming out. Because we come out to our families and our families who were anti-gay, anti-trans, anti-bi, anti-dyke, when their own, it's their own blood they reassess their bigotry and they rethink it and they come around, right? So that's what, you know, Rob Portman's parents, just like my parents, I love my parents, right? They had the same thing. I came out and it changed them. Rob Portman's kid came out, it changed his parents. You're going to come out, it's going to change your dad. So it may be a year or two before he can thank you for helping him work through and get past this and he stops pumping this shitty, bigoted toxin into his own congregation that then blows back at him when his daughter comes out. He'll get a new congregation, a new job, but one day he'll thank you for helping, you know, for you having been a dyke, helping him get through this and past it. Yeah. Yeah. But it could be ugly at first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're Southern. And so our defense is to be quiet. And, and so he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't say anything about it. And, he he's never said anything negative to me except be quiet. You know, if if you're around people who know me, just be quiet. Don't don't be yourself. That sort of thing. Just just real What a terrible thing for a parent to say to a child. Yeah, I I agree. It's it's very stifling. And dad, I want you to meet my friends. Don't tell them you're a Christian. And you know what? Don't tell them about don't tell them about mom. Don't tell them you're straight. Yeah. Because my friends want yeah. to live in a world where they can pretend that everybody's gay. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't say mm-hmm. that to him. You wouldn't ask him to negate yeah. himself like that or betray himself like that. You wouldn't ask him to betray your mother like that. And he's asking you to betray the woman you want to marry like that. Yeah. If I were your girlfriend, I'd be pissed. Because to deny you're a lesbian is, is to deny who I am to you. Right. If I, you know, if right. I was your girlfriend and I'm not your girlfriend. <laughs> don't be too polite, too deferential. It's time to kick some ass. It's time to come out. You don't have to drop a rainbow bomb on his church. Just change your mm-hmm. Facebook status, answer questions truthfully, be gracious and acknowledge it puts your dad in an awkward position and you're sorry for that. But this is who you are. And it's a wonderful thing and you're not ashamed of it. And, and your father shouldn't be either and you hope he isn't soon. I can do that. Yeah, you can be a polite Southern girl about it. But you can yeah. also be a kick-ass, take-no-prisoners dyke about it, too, at the same time. When when you break it into steps like that, it makes it much less scary. <laughs> Do you live in the same town? We don't. We live about a thousand miles apart. Come out. Do you have, Do you have siblings? I don't, no. Is your mom still alive? Yes. Are you out to your mom? How's she on it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm out to my mom and she is best friends with my fiance and loves it, um, has been to pride events with us. I mean, I would enlist mom's help. Mom and dad are still married, obviously, right? They are. Uh Enlist mom's help. Go to mom and say, what dad is asking me to do and I have done for a year is very hurtful to my fiance. And I love you and I'm loyal to you and dad and I've shown my loyalty for a year. But as you know, how long have your parents been married? 
28 years. Okay, mom, as you know, married 28 years, your first loyalty has to be to your spouse. And I can't do this Mm -hmm. to the woman I'm going to marry anymore. It's not fair to her. It's cruel and it's unnecessary. So I'm coming out, just giving you the courtesy of the heads up when dad's head explodes. So you're prepared. Right. Would you, before I came out to people that they know, would you warn them first or do it and then let them find out? I would give them a heads up. I would first say everything I just say, say that to mom, memorize that speech. A pretty little speech. I just made, say it to mom and then send dad a letter saying, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. And I think it may be painful for you right now, but I think soon you will understand why I couldn't do this anymore. And it will be better now that I'm out. And I'm sorry, but I can't live a lie. And what you're asking me to do is lie. And that's what you're asking me to do now. But what you taught me to do, the person you taught me to be was a truthful person. And so I have to be truthful. I have to tell the truth. My parents were religious and that's kind of what I said to them. You know, I was coming out because they taught me to be ethical and, you know, to be straight would have been to lie all my life to some poor woman that I married and fucked pretending she was a guy and you know, lied to everybody in my life all my life. And I just couldn't do that because of the person you guys raised me to be. Mm-hmm. So try that on dad. And yeah. and we'll probably have to edit this down a little cause we've gone, cause I keep talking to you cause I love you actually. I just want to like put my hand on your knee and tell you it's going to be okay. The shit, the shit comes first. Like it may be ugly for a few months. You know, when you pull that pin on the grenade, there's a big boom and then shit settles down. But usually right after someone pulls that pin and there's the boom, they think that explosion is going to last forever. Like some never ending Michael Bay coming attraction, just boom, 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 boom. Right. And it doesn't, the boom happens, shit lands, the dust settles and you realize that it was a happy grenade the pin that you pulled from. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Good luck. Dan, thank you so much. You're welcome. Hi, Dan. My husband and I have been together for 22 years, monogamous for 21 of those years. We are now polyamorous and have been for about 18 months. He asked if he could bring his girlfriend of seven months to Thanksgiving dinner. I'm wondering, since we've been monogamous with each other since we were 16, we didn't get a chance to date. At what point does it become acceptable to start bringing in a girlfriend or boyfriend as part of the family and coming out? What are some key points we can look for? There's no one-size-fits-all answer here. There are people who have open relationships who include their boyfriends, girlfriends, outside partners uh, casually and effortlessly uh, in their, you know, in their marriages, in their lives, that their partners aren't sort of walled off. That their other partners, a girlfriend, can come over for dinner and hang out and there isn't tension and there isn't somebody suspending their disbelief and pretending that their husband or wife doesn't have a boyfriend or girlfriend on the side, right? Or in addition. And that person is a welcome presence. And in some open relationships, that person is a helpful presence. Sometimes it's helpful to have an extra set of hands around, uh, not just orify, right? So for some people, this is easy breezy. Yeah, of course, invite she of course should come over, especially if she would otherwise be home alone on Thanksgiving. It would be cruel to exclude her if she respects your relationship and and your marriage and and her and she's actually maybe improved it, as often happens when sometimes when people who should be in an open relationship open it up. The openness has actually made them happier together. Then there's really no rational reason to exclude her. 
except for standing on appearances, monogamous appearances. And if you're not trying to sustain some sort of monogamous appearance for your parents or you don't mention children, but if they're children, if you're keeping this from them and it would be awkward to have her, well, then you could keep her out. But if you're not keeping it from them or it can, or you can have that person there without it being clear that she's a girlfriend, if it's casual, she could just be a friend, a stray invited for the holidays. I don't see why you should not invite her, but it really depends on, on how you guys manage your openness. If it's a DADT thing, if he doesn't really, you know, you've got boyfriends, but he doesn't want to meet them and, and he's got a girlfriend and you don't want to meet her. And you've tried to introduce each other to each other's outside partners. And it's always been really awkward and strained or your outside partners feel weird about meeting your husband or, you know, meeting the wife, then don't include them, but it's very subjective. So there is no one answer. But if you are comfortable inviting this person, if you don't have a problem with it and your husband doesn't have a problem with it, you should absolutely definitely invite her. There's nothing in Emily Post's book of etiquette that says that it is gauche for folks to invite whoever they want to invite to Thanksgiving. And if one of those people you want to invite happens to be somebody your husband is sleeping with, Yahtzee, invite her. I thought I was done talking to you about one of the texts that we had rescued. We hit pause. It said Thanksgiving is supposed to be about bounty. She's falling out of your cornucopia. So invite the girlfriend. This is a comment for the woman that called in on episode 421 about her poorly dressed boyfriend. And I just wanted to uh, extend my my experience with having a poorly dressed boyfriend. Uh, when I met my husband, he was still wearing uh, weird paisley shirts from the early 90s, and his closet was stuffed with them. I kind of took a take-no-prisoners approach to it and just immediately started refining his wardrobe. And actually, his he reluctantly agreed that it was better at first. His sister and his mother approached me at different points to say thank you for fixing his wardrobe. And, you know, since then, it's been, what, like seven or eight years later, and he constantly gets complimented on his wardrobe. And let me tell you this as well. Now he goes and picks out clothes for himself. He's been doing so for the past couple of years, like a big boy. It's a terrible thing to say. But he has been picking out all of his own clothes, and he picks great clothes. He picks great shit now. So he refined his style. I gave him a little help to get over the hump, and now he is a style badass. Hey, Dan, I was just listening to episode 421 with the man whose boyfriends uh, and he have nothing in common. And I would like to say for my four, almost four-year relationship with my boyfriend, we have nothing in common. He's a musician and an artist, and I have no interest in music or art. And I'm a horsey girl. I do horsey things. And he has no interest in that. But I get dressed up for his art openings and his shows, and he gets dressed up and comes to my horse shows, and we cheer each other on. And the thing we have in common is that we love each other, and we want to take care of each other. And um, when we come home, it is, it's always hot and sexy because we don't spend all of our time together. I think it's, it's a bad thing that people think that they have to have every single thing in common with each other. It is absolutely mine and his uh, dream relationship, and we wouldn't change a thing. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to the father who was worried about his seven-year-old daughter and how she was bruising herself as she was masturbating on household furniture. When my daughter was around the same age, uh, probably around eight, she was doing the same thing. She's now 13. 
Uh, she was doing the same thing, kind of <clears throat> riding on the living room furniture, you know, in, in plain view of, of guests and people over at the house. And I found a little friendly looking pocket rocket vibrator. It had a little cat uh, on the head of it. It wasn't like a dildo shaped vibrator. It was something that looked kind of very child appropriate and non-scary and small. And I bought it for her at our local sex shop. And it came home one day and I said, hey, why don't you try this instead of riding on the furniture? And she never did it again. So, you know, might be time to introduce a very non-scary, non-threatening, easy-to-use vibrator, of course, with instructions that it's to be kept private and used just for her in her room. And we're going to leave it there. But before we let you go, we want to remind everybody about our upcoming big Christmas live taping of the Savage Lovecast, our very first Christmas Savage Lovecast spectacular, a very Savage Lovecast Christmas at Seattle's Neptune Theater on December 5th. It's a Friday. Go to thestranger.com slash lovecastchristmas for tickets. Once again, thestranger.com slash lovecastchristmas. I will be there. Rachel Lark will be there premiering some new songs. Adult Baby Jesus will be there and the Solid Gold Christmas Dancers. And that's where we're going to leave it. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Lovecast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Diana Adams on Twitter at DianaAdamsESQ. Follow Leah Torres on Twitter at Leah and Torres. And follow Erica Moen on Twitter at Erica Moen. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week and we'll all be in your faces on December 5th at Seattle's Neptune Theater with another installment and a Christmas special of the Savage Lovecast. Join us for all of them. Thank you.